0: chapter nineteen of the bent twig by dorothy canfield this LibriVox recording is in the public domain chapter nineteen as a bird out of a snare sylvia dressed for dinner literally like one in a dream outwardly she was so calm that she thought she was so inwardly it was nothing like so exciting as people said to get engaged she thought as she brushed out her hair and put it up in a big gleaming knot Here she had been engaged for a whole hour and a half, and was getting calmer every minute instead of the reverse. She astonished herself by the lucidity of her brain, although it only worked by snatches, there being lacunae when she could not have told what she was doing. And yet, as she had approached the house, sitting again beside the colonel, she had looked with a new thrill of interest at its imposing, battlemented façade the great hall had seemed familiar to her already as she stepped across it on her way to the stairs her feet had pressed the rugs with assurance she had been able to be quite nonchalant about refusing the services of the maid who offered to help her dress it was true that from time to time she suddenly flushed or paled it was true that her mind seemed incapable of the slightest consecutive thought it was true that she seemed to be in a dream peopled by crazily inconsequent images she had again and again a vision startlingly vivid of the red-trigged osier beside which she had stood it was true that she had a slight feeling of vertigo when she tried to think ahead of the next moment but still she was going ahead with her unpacking and dressing so steadily that she marvelled She decided again from the depth of her experience that getting engaged was nothing like so upsetting an event as people made out. She thrust the last pin into her hair and tipped her head preeningly before the big triplicate mirror, the first time she had ever encountered this luxury outside of a ready-made clothes shop. The yellow chiffon came out from the trunk in perfect condition looking like a big, silk petaled flower, as she slipped it on over her bare shoulders, and emerged above, triumphant, and yet half afraid to look at herself in the mirror, lest she should see that her home-made toilet had not the right look. One glance satisfied even her jealous eagerness. It had exactly the right look. That is, it looked precisely like the picture from which she had copied it, She gazed with naive satisfaction at the faithfulness with which her reflected appearance resembled that of the Parisian demi-mondaine, whose photograph she had seen, and settled on her slim, delicately modeled shoulders, the straps of shirred and beaded chiffon, which apparently performed the office of keeping her dress from sliding to the floor. In reality, under its fluid, gauzy draperies, it was constructed on a firm, well-fitting, well-fastened foundation of opaque cloth which quite adequately clothed the young body but its appearance was of a transparent cloud only kept from floating entirely away by those gleaming straps on the shoulders an effect carefully calculated in the original model and inimitably caught by sylvia's innocent fingers she turned herself about artlessly surprised to see that her neck and shoulders looked quite like those of the women in the fashion plates and the magazine illustrations she looked at the clock it was early yet she reflected that she never could take the time other girls did in dressing she wondered what they did what could one do after one's bath was taken one's hair done and one's gown donned oh of course powder she applied it liberally then wiped away every grain that being what she had seen older girls do in the gymnasium dressing room then with a the last survey of her face unaltered by the ceremonial with the powder puff she stepped to the door but there with her hand on the knob she was halted by an inexplicable hesitation about opening the door and showing herself she looked down at her bare shoulders and bosom and faintly blushed it was really very very low far lower than any dress she had ever worn. And the fact that Eleanor Hubert, that all the swell girls wore theirs low, did not for the moment suffice her. It was somehow different, their showing their shoulders and her showing her own. She could not turn the knob, and stood irresolute, frowning vaguely, though not very deeply disquieted. Finally, she compromised by taking up a pretty spangled scarf aunt victoria had sent her wrapping it about her like a shawl in which quaint garb she went out in more confidence and walked down the hall to the stairway half-way down she met colonel fisk just coming up to dress seeing one of his young guests arrayed for the evening he made her his compliments the first words rather absent and perfunctory but when he was aware which guest she was he warmed into a pressing and personal note as his practised eyes took in the beauty tonight startlingly enhanced by excitement of the girl's dark shining eyes flushed cheeks and white neck and arms he ended by lifting her hand in his florid way and pressing it to his white moustache for a very fervent kiss sylvia blushed prettily meeting his hot old eyes with a dewy unconsciousness and smiling frankly up into the deeply-lined carnal face with the simple-hearted pleasure she would have felt at the kind word of any elderly man the colonel seemed quite old to her much older than her father like professor kennedy cherries in the library waiting his father announced with a sly laugh I WONDERED AT THE YOUNG RASCALS BEING DRESSED SO FAR AHEAD OF TIME. HE TURNED RELUCTANTLY AND WENT ON UP THE STAIRS, LEAVING SYLVIA TO GO FORWARD TO HER FIRST MEETING ALONE WITH THE MAN SHE HAD PROMISED TO MARRY. AS SHE DESCENDED THE LONG FLIGHT OF STAIRS, HER SCARF, LOOSENED BY HER MOVEMENT, SLIPPED UNOBSERVED IN HER EXCITEMENT AND HUNG lightly ABOUT HER SHOULDERS. THE DOOR TO THE LIBRARY WAS SHUT. SHE OPENED IT WITH A RAPIDLY BEATING HEART and stood on the threshold shyly hesitating to advance further looking with agitation at the stalwart handsome well-groomed figure which stood in an attitude of impatient expectation by the window except for the light which came in from the electric bulb on the porch outside the big room was in twilight in the brilliantly lighted door opening she stood revealed as by a searchlight at the sound of the opening door and his name spoken in a quavering voice. The young man turned, paused an instant as if blinded by the vision, and sprang forward. The door behind Sylvia swung shut, and her eyes, widening in the dusk, saw only the headlong, overwhelming rush upon her of her lover. She was enfolded, strongly in muscular arms. She was pressed closer, and yet closer, to a powerful body whose heat burned through thin broadcloth She was breathless, stunned, choked. As the man bent forward over her, clasping her to him, her flexible spine bent and her head drooped backward, her face with its flesh all gone, gleaming white in the dusk. At this he rained kisses on it, on her eyes, hair, cheeks, mouth, the burning softness of his full lips seeming to leave a smear on her skin where they pressed it. Still holding her with one arm pressed to him as though the two young bodies were gripped together by a vice, he loosened the other arm and thrust it at the back of her dress through the flimsy gauze of her scarf down next her body. His stiff cuff caught on the edge of her dress and his sleeve slid up. It was his bare arm against her naked flesh. He gave a savage, smothered, gasping exclamation pressed his fingers deeply into her side still kissing her passionately her neck her shoulders burying his hot face in her bosom it was the girl's body which acted since at the first instant of the whirlwind which had broken over her her mind had been shocked into a swooning paralysis only her strong sound body hardened by work fortified by outdoor exercise was ready in its every fibre for this moment Her body bent suddenly like a spring of fine steel, its strength momentarily more than a match for his, and thrust the man from her with staggering violence. Her reaction from him was as physical a sensation as though she had bitten into a tempting fruit and found it not sweet, not even bitter, but nasty. She sickened at the sight of him. As he caught his balance, laughing a little but not at all good-naturedly, and started back towards her with a dangerous dark face of excited anger and desire his headlong rush was checked an instant by the fierce eyes which flamed at him from her crimson face even her neck and shoulders were now scarlet she held him off for the space of a breath giving one deep exclamation oh short sharply exhaled almost like a blow in his face but his blood was up as well as hers and after his momentary pause he rushed forward again his handsome blond face black with passion sylvia stooped gathered up her skirts turned burst open the door and fled out of the room running in her high-heeled satin slippers as she did on the track in the gymnasium with long deer-like bounds in a flash she had crossed the wide hall which was as it happened empty although she would not have slackened her pace for all the assembled company and was darting arrow-like up the stairs her torn scarf flying behind her like a banner her flight had been so unexpected and so swift that young fisk did not attempt to follow her but she reached her room flung the door shut and locked it with as much precipitancy as though he were on her heels instead of standing quite still, open-mouthed, where she had left him. The sharp crack of her slamming door, loud in the quiet house, broke the spell which held him, his mouth shut, and his clenched hands loosened from their fierce tension. He took an aimless step and drew a long breath. A moment later, quite automatically, he fumbled for his cigarette case, and, finding it, took out a cigarette and lighted it with fingers that were not steady. The familiar action and the first puff of smoke affected him like emerging from a turmoil of darkness into the quiet and order of a well-lighted room. "'Well, may I be damned,' he said to himself, with the beginning of a return of his usual assurance, "'the damn little spitfire!' He walked about the room, puffing vigorously, feeling with relief his blood resume its usual rate of circulation. His head seemed to clear of a thick vapour the startling recollection of the anger in his fiancée's eyes was fading rapidly from his mind now he only saw her blushing recoiling fleeing he laughed out a little this time not angrily but with relish ain't she the firebrand he said aloud he found his desire for her a hundredfold enhanced and stood still his eyes very lustrous feeling again in imagination the warm softness of her bosom under his lips gee he exclaimed turning restlessly in his pacing walk he was aware that someone in the room moved germaine said his stepmother's faint voice he looked at her smiling hello mama he said good-naturedly when did you come show in oh just now she told him giving him an assurance which he doubted and which he would not have valued had he known it to be true. He was perfectly indifferent as to the chance that this negligible person might have been a spectator to the scene between the son of the house and a guest. If she said anything about it, he meant to give the all-sufficing explanation that he and Miss Marshall had just become engaged. This would, of course, it seemed self-evident to him, make it all right. But Mrs. Fiske did not make any remark calling forth that information. She only said, in her usual listless manner, "'Your sleeve is shoved up.' He glanced down in surprise, realizing how excited he must be not to have noticed that before, and remained for a moment silent, looking at the splendidly muscular white arm and the large, well-manicured hand. He was feeling in every nerve the reminiscence of the yielding firmness of Sylvia's flesh, bare against his own. The color came up flamingly into his face he moistened his lips with his tongue jesus christ he exclaimed contemptuously careless of his listener i'm wild in love with that girl he pulled his sleeve down with a quick vigorous gesture deftly shot the cuff out beyond the black broadcloth and the picture of handsome well-groomed youth in easy circumstances turned again to his father's wife what you in here for anyhow he asked still with his light absence of concern about anything she did or did not do she hesitated looking about the room i thought miss marshall would be here she promised to come down early to write the names on the place cards i thought i heard her voice you did he told her she came down early all right but she went back again he laughed tossed his cigarette in In the fireplace and vouchsafing no more explanation, strolled into the billiard room and began to knock the balls about, whistling a recent dance tune with great precision and vivacity. He was anticipating with quickened blood the next meeting with Sylvia. As he thrust at the gleaming balls, his mouth smiled and his eyes burned. Mrs. Fiske went upstairs and knocked at Sylvia's door. There was a rush of quick footsteps and the girl asked from the other side in a muffled voice who is it mrs fiske gave her name and added in answer to another question that she was alone the door opened enough for her to enter and closed quickly after her she looked about the disordered room saw the open trunk the filmy cascade of yellow chiffon half on and half off the bed the torn and crumpled spangled scarf and sylvia herself her hastily donned kimono clutched about her with tense hands the mistress of the house made no comment on the scene looking at sylvia with dull faded eyes in which there was no life not even the flicker of an inquiry but sylvia began in a nervous voice to attempt an explanation oh mrs fiske i-you'll have to excuse me i must go home at once i-i was just packing I thought if I hurried I could make the eight o'clock trolley back to La Chance and you could send my trunk after me. Her every faculty was so concentrated on the single idea of flight, flight back to the safety of home, that she did not think of the necessity of making an excuse, giving a reason for her action. It seemed that it must be self-evident to the universe that she could not stay another hour in that house. Mrs. Fisk nodded. Yes, I'll send your trunk after you, she said. She drew a long breath, almost audible, and looked down at the fire on the hearth. Sylvia came up close to her, looking into her lustreless eyes with deep entreaty. And, Mrs. Fisk, would you mind not telling anyone I'm going, until I'm gone? Nobody at all. It's because I... You could say I didn't feel well enough to come down to dinner. I... if you and say I don't want any dinner up here either. Won't you be afraid to go down through the grounds to the trolley alone at night? asked Mrs. Fisk, without looking at her. Everybody will be at dinner, won't they? asked Sylvia. Mrs. Fisk nodded, her eyes on the floor, upon which... Oh, no, I won't be afraid, cried Sylvia. Her hostess turned to the door. Well, I won't tell them if you don't want me to, she said. She went out without another word, closing the door behind her. Sylvia locked it and went on with her wild packing. When she came to the yellow chiffon, she rolled it up tightly and jammed it into a corner of her trunk. But the instant afterward, she snatched it out and thrust it fiercely into the fire. The light fabric caught at once. The flames leapt up, filling the room with a roaring heat and flare, which almost as quickly died down to a blackened silence. Sylvia faced that instant of red glare with a grimly set jaw and a deeply flushed face. It did not look at all like her own face. At a quarter of eight, the room was cleared, the trunk strapped and locked, and Sylvia stood dressed for the street, gloved, veiled, and furred. Under her veil, her face showed still very flushed. She took up her small handbag and her umbrella and opened the door with caution a faint clatter of dishes and a hum of laughing talk came up to her ears dinner was evidently in full swing she stepped out and went noiselessly down the stairs on the bottom step close to the dining-room door her umbrella tip caught in the balustrade and fell with a loud clatter on the bare polished floor of the hall sylvia shrank into herself and waited an instant with suspended breath for the pause in the chatter and laughter which it seemed must follow. The moment was forever connected in her mind with the smell of delicate food and fading flowers and human beings, well-washed and perfumed, which floated out to her from the dining-room. She looked about her at the luxuriously furnished great hall and hated every inch of it. If the noise was heard, it evidently passed for something dropped by a servant, for Colonel Fiske, who was telling a humorous story, went on, his recital punctuated by bass and treble anticipatory laughter from his auditors. And when he called her upon the phone the next day to ask her about it, she said, she didn't know he'd been there at all. A roar of appreciation greeted this recondite climax, under cover of which Sylvia opened the front door and shut it behind her the pure coldness of the winter night struck sharply and gratefully on her senses after the warmth and indoor odors of the house she sprang forward along the porch and down the steps distending her nostrils and filling her lungs again and again these long deep breaths seemed to her like the renewal of life as her foot grated on the gravel of the driveway she heard a stealthy sound back of her at which her heart leapt up and stood still the front door of the house had opened very quietly and shut again she looked over her shoulder fearfully preparing to race down the road but seeing only mrs fiske's tall stooping figure stopped and turned expectantly the older woman came down the steps towards the fugitive apparently unaware of the biting winter wind on her bared shoulders quite at a loss and suspiciously on her guard sylvia waited for her "'searching the blurred, pale face "'with impatient inquiry. "'I... I thought I'd walk with you a little ways,' "'said the other, looking down at her guest. "'Oh, no, don't,' pleaded Sylvia in despair, "'lest someone notice her hostess's absence. "'You'll take a dreadful cold with no wraps on. "'Do go back. I'm not a bit afraid.' "'The other looked at her with a smoldering flush, "'rising through the ashes of her grey face.' It wasn't that. I didn't suppose you'd be afraid. I i just thought I'd like to go a ways with you, she repeated, bringing out the words confusedly and with obvious difficulty. I won't make you late, she added, as if guessing the girl's thoughts. She put a thin hand on Sylvia's arm and drew her rapidly along the driveway. For a moment they walked in silence. Then, how soon will you reach home? she asked. Oh, about a quarter to ten. The Interurban gets into La at 9.15, and it's about half an hour across town on the Washington Street trolley. "'In less than two hours?' cried Mrs. Fiske wildly. "'In less than two hours!' Seeing no cause for wonder in her statement, and not welcoming at all this unsought escort, Sylvia made no answer. There was another silence and then, looking in the starlight at her companion, the girl saw with consternation that the quiet tears were running down her cheeks. She stopped short. Oh! Oh! she cried. She caught up the other's hand in a bewildered surprise. She had not the faintest idea what could cause her hostess's emotion. She was horribly afraid she would lose the trolley. Her face painted vividly her agitation and her impatience. Mrs. Fiske, "'drew back her hand and wiped her eyes with her palm. "'Well, I must be going back,' she said. "'She looked dimly at the girl's face "'and suddenly threw her arms about Sylvia's neck, "'clinging to her. "'She murmured incoherent words, "'the only ones which Sylvia could make out, being, "'I can't, I can't, I can't!' what it was she could not do remained an impenetrable mystery to sylvia for at that moment she turned away quickly and went back up the driveway her face in her hands sylvia hesitated penetrated in spite of her absorption in her own affairs by a vague pity but hearing in the distance the clang of the trolley-car's bell she herself turned and ran desperately down the driveway she reached the public road just in time to stop the heavy car and to swing herself lightly on to all appearances merely a rather unusually well set up fashionably dressed young lady presenting to the heterogeneous indifference of the other passengers in the car even a more ostentatiously abstracted air than is the accepted attitude for young ladies traveling alone. One or two of her fellow voyagers wondered at the deep flush on her face, but forgot it the next moment. It was a stain which was not entirely to fade from Sylvia's face and body for many days to come. End of chapter 19